This podcast has been made possible through funding from Fans for Diversity. Hi everybody, um, thanks so much for joining us tonight. I think we're just going to let the attendees come through um, on this webinar. My name is John Holmes. Uh, I am the founder and the lead of the network group Sports Media LGBT+. And uh, this evening's panel event is entitled Taking Pride in Your Work. And we're going to be exploring LGBTQ voices in football media. Got a fantastic panel with us, and we're also going to be live streaming the event on the Football v Homophobia Facebook page. So if you pop along there, you can find the URL and you can share it around on social media. We're going to be using the hashtag Taking Pride, uh, and also you can submit questions through the chat facility, through the Q and A facility, uh, and we'll come to those in the final third of the event. We'll also, I think, be taking questions if they're posed on social media as well. So if you want to put it through on there, use that hashtag taking pride and I'm sure we'll pick it up. So um, just by way of introduction, really, this event is part of a partnership that uh, we've struck uh, with the Football Writers Association, which we're really, really delighted to have uh, confirmed during Pride Month. Um, essentially, the two organisations have always had a, a connection. A lot of our members are also members of FWA, which is great. And we've been talking for several months, if not years, due to different personnel in the two groups. But this is a really a commitment from us both to work more closely together on inclusion in our industry. Um, Sports Media LGBT is, a, as I say, a network group for LGBT plus people and allies. And uh, we started in 2017. Essentially, the group is there to kind of provide connections and contacts, but also support where needed, um, visibility in our industry, um, that's important to us as well, and advice to, to anyone that requires it. And maybe they're not part of football media or sports media themselves, maybe they're part of a, an NGB, an organisation, a club, somebody who wants to access the media and talk about some of the inclusion work that they're doing. So we have kind of various roles that we fulfil. Um, the FWA, of course, um, has been going since 1947, and I'm really pleased that Carrie Brown, the chair of the FWA, is here with us this evening, and she's going to talk a little bit more about the association and the partnership. First of all, John, my great thanks to us. What an ambassador you are for Sports Media LGBT Plus and the whole community. Thank you. Um, the FWA had always in our belief of our committee being in, implicitly behind all the LGBT plus campaigns, especially rainbow laces, and I'm very happy to actively share, but when I sat down with John and I hadn't appreciated that we hadn't really come out and, and announced a partnership or sort of vocally said that we're here and of course we're supportive of the LGBT plus community and um, it was thanks for that conversation that we were just, we must do this. Um, and it's really important visibility in, in our industry. And we are uh, all too readily at our laptops looking down and finding a way to deadline. So we can always seem like we're all too busy to communicate and talk, but we're quite an open, friendly bunch. And um, we are a, a diverse makeup in our press boxes. I want to thank our panel so much. It, just after the end of the season, speaking to Nikki about how she thought she would be coming to an end, and then every single manager in Italy was sacked. Um, everyone the Euro 2020 route at the moment, which is just seems one thing after another at the moment. So thank you all for finding the time and joining us. Leanne has come back from holiday and is in lockdown. So thank you for sparing some time when you just wait for all those tests to release you. Um, it's it's so important for us to let people know what you might not appreciate that. You know, obviously the press box is really diverse and, and everyone is welcome in it, but also that there are people in our industry 
working in it from from all backgrounds and are welcomed and I think that's really important to build pathways and make people know that the press boxes are a place for everyone I know there can be some really negative headlines especially sadly around men's football and it's really important for people to know in the press box that that's not the situation yeah absolutely and of course that's something that we're very passionate about in our group as well we really want to encourage particularly young people if they're looking at this as a career to come into and they're slightly concerned because maybe they're, they're worried that it might not be a fully welcoming and inclusive industry I think we're trying to change those perceptions that might still linger and of course address where there are problems and of course they do still exist in certain workplaces and and, and other parts of our industry and we're, we're really keen to keep everybody moving forwards um, another crucial component of tonight's event is football v homophobia the campaign that you'll all be very familiar with, I'm sure it's been running since uh, 2010. I'm very proudly wearing my Football v Homophobia t-shirt tonight. And I'm really pleased that Beatrice Thilkettle from the campaign is with us, looking after the technical side of things, but she's also gonna tell us a little bit more about the campaign, where it's at, and how, of course, it ties in to, to media. Yeah, hi, John. Thanks for um, thanks for coming together and bringing this event um, together yourself and, and Carrie's work in, in bringing all these great voices. I'm really looking forward to hearing the discussion tonight. Um, so to give a little bit of an explanation about football versus homophobia for those who might not have come across this, um, we're an international um, campaign that works year round to um, tackle all forms of discrimination based on sexual orientation, gender identity and gender expression. Um, we work in through events, um, especially you know events like these where we can platform a range of people's voices, um, education, you know, delivering education across the game, um, and through communications, increasing visibility of um, LGBTQ plus people in the game, um, and that's really crucial for us with our with our youth panel as well. And I know John and Sports Media LGBT plus has been we've done some really fantastic partnership work, and I think. Um, you know, quite often in these conversations, we really talk about players or maybe coaches as well, but actually it's really important to talk about other areas of football and where we can make a difference and just show that there are many LGBTQ plus voices out there and that, you know, people are welcome and that, that things are changing for the better. So thank you very much for um, coming along, everyone. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll leave you to it. I'll just be in the background. <laughs> Thanks, Beatrice. That's fantastic. And yeah, if you want to learn more about Football v Homophobia, check them out on their website and on social media as well. So tonight's event is, of course, all about pride. Um, our panel have been very, very patient. I'm going to introduce them to you now. I think we're all very fortunate to be working in a career um, that is a fantastic one to be in, to be part of. And uh, we're going to find out a little bit more about where they got to today, the articles that they write, the broadcasting that they contribute um, and the job satisfaction that they get out of that. And there's going to be the idea about what does pride mean when you're LGBT? What does it mean when you're an ally? That's also really, really important. We're going to be looking at that as well. And we'll look to the future and where each of us hopes to see a little bit more progress. So we're going to kick off with our first panelist, Nikki Bandini, very well known to football fans through her writing and her broadcasting with The Guardian, ESPN and TalkSport. She has her own Italian football postseason awards, which was a virtual ceremony even before the days of COVID. And she's highly sought after for her NFL knowledge as well. Nikki came out publicly as trans in August 2019. And we were very honored at Sports Media LGBT that she came to our Authentic Me event at Twitter's headquarters in October of that year and spoke to us all. And Nikki, it's fantastic to have you with us. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. 
So I've, uh, I've warned you all that I was going to come to each of you and, uh, and ask you, as we're in Euro 2020, if you could uh, maybe sort of predict your finalists for the tournament and tell us why. This is awful. So I already had to do this on Football Weekly. We did it together, though. So to collectively, we got to a Belgium-Portugal final, but I was blamed for getting Belgium there because I had them knocking out France, I think, in the semifinals. I still like Belgium. And if I follow the path that got Portugal there, the team that I thought they shouldn't have knocked out, but that my co-podcasters had them knocking out, was England. So I will have Belgium and England, even though lots of people will think that's English media getting carried away. Because if anyone who follows me will know, I'm not, I'm half English, half Italian, but my allegiances in football tend to lie with the Italian side. And personally, I think that's a better team, but they have to go through Belgium to get to the final. I don't think England will. So that's why I think that's the final. I think we must have done a similar thing because I had Belgium-Spain final. So maybe maybe it was a similar kind of setup. I think I had Belgium beating France as well in the semis. Anyway, we might get a few more of these as we go around the rest of the panel. Thank you, Nikki. So at, next on our panel is Adam Crafton, reporter at The Athletic. And he previously worked on the Daily Mail sport team. He was named the Young Sports Writer of the Year at the SJA Sports Journalism Awards three years ago. And his first book, From Guernica to Guardiola, How the Spanish Conquered English Football, was published in June of that year. In recent months, he's written some outstanding long-form features related to LGBT inclusion in football on Justin Fashionu in LGBT History Month in February and on Gdansk's hosting of the UEFA Europa League final against a backdrop of rising homophobia and discrimination in Poland. And that, of course, was last month. Adam, it's great to have you with us. Thank you so much. Thank you. And thanks for reading out my mum's biography of my, of my life as well. Um, very kind of you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm sure I've missed out some achievements, but we can, we can maybe get to those in the in the panel chat. Um, so here we go, finalists for the Euros. I did the uh, the UEFA like bracket predictor last week, and it, I got to Portugal, England in the final, um, and I then had England losing that final, uh, which just felt so cruel having taken them that far. But I having I had England knocking out France. Um, and at the time, I was thinking there might be some sort of French implosion along the way. We've seen the early signs with Mbappe and Giroud. So that's my sort of very bold and probably very wrong prediction um, and quite delusional. I like it. OK, so Portugal, England. Well, I look forward to that. Uh, next, we have Matt Dickinson, who's the chief sports writer at The Times. And he's worked there for over 20 years, including covering six World Cups and maybe as many Euros or... And the author, of course, of Bobby Moore, The Man in Full. He's also previously worked with David Beckham and Gary Neville on, uh, on their books and is a five-time winner at the SGA Sports Journalism Awards and was named Colonist of the Year for the second time in 2020. So he's previously addressed LGBT plus issues in football in his columns. And in recent years, he's written feature interviews with the likes of Philippa York and Gareth Thomas. Matt, it's fantastic to have you with us. Thank you for giving up your time today. No problem. And I'm, I'm going to sound now like I've been nicking Adam's uh, homework and copying it because um, I ended up with a pretty similar. I basically, I've ended up with, uh, I thought France and Portugal are, the, are, the, are actually my two strongest teams. But of course, I'm now completely perversely going to say that England have to knock one of them out in the, uh, in the last 16 because I can't, I can't bear for England to be over after four matches. So I've, um, I've yeah, likewise, I've been reading this Mbappe um, Giroud fall out and hoping is this the start of where yeah france go wrong and and uh, yeah like adam i ended up with in, i've 
well, ended up with England Portugal with with some sort of fingers crossed, legs crossed, and everything else crossed. But um, I'm still, I'll, I'll go with it anyway. Righty ho, Portugal England again. I reckon our fourth panelist is also going to potentially plump for England, but we'll find out. <laughs> Leanne Sanderson is an in-demand pundit and broadcaster. She won 50 international caps for England and was part of the Lionesses squad that finished third at the World Cup in 2015. She was a quadruple winner with Arsenal in, in 2007, and she went on to play for Chelsea as well as clubs in the US, Spain, Cyprus, and most recently Italy with Juventus. And in recent months, you'll have seen and heard her on Sky Sports, BBC Sport, and Talk Sport. Thank you, Leanne. Thank you, John. Thank you to everybody for having part of this. It's so important to be part of things like this. So it's fantastic. Um, yeah, I mean, you know how you can predict who's going to get into the final because I don't like looking at seeing who can get there. Obviously, I want England to get there. No brainer. But I do think a team like I'd like to see Italy to get there as well because they're playing in Italy. You know, I feel like, you know, that would be a dream final. I love Portugal because Ronaldo is my favourite player. So in a dream way, without looking at all the different scenarios, I would love for England to play Italy in the final. That would be kind of a, a thing for me that I'd feel quite confident and passionate about. But at the same time, because I wouldn't want to have England play against Cristiano Ronaldo. Because that would be hard for me. As much as I love England, I love Ronaldo as well. So it'd be quite difficult. So, yeah. Well, I'm hugely buoyed by this England positivity. That's from... We won one game. We're going to win the whole thing. This is what we do. <laughs> this is exactly the kind of enthusiasm I wanted at the, for the start of this event. So brilliant. So let's let's begin then with the event titles, they're taking pride. And I wanted to ask each of you, like the moments in your football media careers thus far that have been really satisfying. And maybe it could be something to do with pride in the LGBT sense. Maybe it's not. But just to kind of get a flavour about your achievements and uh, and as I say the satisfaction you get from your job so Nikki maybe we come to you first. I found this one slightly tricky because um, weirdly I know it's in the title pride is a word that sometimes just on a personal level I can struggle with but at the same time there's lots of things that I've done in my career that I'm really happy about and some of that goes all the way back to getting a job at the Guardian to begin with because I came on doing some night shifts and did some things that caught someone's attention and then everything else that's come in my career spiral from there just doing that one thing first but certainly recently um I'm really sorry my left eye is running and I have to keep dabbing at it and that's really awkward while doing a thing but um recently I had um a few I suppose well one particular sort of quite big um landmark I guess because I came out in got it feels like a different lifetime ago to me already, but it's only actually two years ago that I came out and appearing on a live ESPN broadcast. I'm so sorry, this is really awkward. That eye is just stinging and I don't know why. Um, sorry, um, I had to, um, I had to. I had an opportunity to do uh, a live broadcast of Juventus' game against Milan on ESPN. And that was one of those moments that I didn't especially think about it in the moment to be honest with you because most of the time when you're in the moment you just get on and do your work but afterwards when I thought about it and thought hang on a second when you were growing up the trans people that were on tv such as there were trans people on tv were on Jerry Springer being humiliated so the fact that a trans person was on one of America's biggest broadcasters presenting one of the biggest Italian football games the season yeah that was a moment I felt pretty pretty exhilarated by yeah, and I think we discussed that a little bit in our group, didn't we? And uh, and you and you shared on Twitter, and uh, that was just kind of seeing all the reactions and the positivity around that. It's nice that people can recognise 
why that would be a proud moment. So I thought that was that was really special to see. Adam, so several achievements, as we sort of mentioned in your young career thus far. Um, how do you how do you assess the word pride for yourself? I think I mean, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, as Nikki said, there's pride in the work that you do. And then there's, I suppose, pride in how, you know, you become, I suppose, more visible with your sexuality and hopefully a bit of, you know, over time, a bit of a reference point that other people can look to and, you know, take a bit of encouragement from. Um, so I think, you know, there's been lots of things in work that I've been proud of. I think, you know, over the last couple of years or so, I probably within myself, I felt myself become more confident to, to express myself through my writing um, and through my reporting and what I believe through my reporting. Um, and, and that's obviously, you know, very much linked as well to just becoming more confident in my sexuality over time. Because the first four or five years that I was a sports journalist, I, was, I wasn't out as gay, um, you know, to family or work colleagues or anyone. Um, so it's been a, a bit of a weird comparison, but I suppose it'd be like a, a footballer coming out at 22 when people make have an a presumption about you up until a certain point and then all of a sudden things change a bit um and coming to terms with that so i think that's probably you know that increased visibility i think has been important to me um at, because I, you know you can increasingly tell it means a lot to to other people as well and i mean we'll come to it in a bit more depth in a minute but has that encouraged you to explore these kind of themes in your work as well is that was that a pivotal part of the journey I think so, because I think, I mean, I've noticed over time that, that, that I think there is a reticence, um, despite a lot of sports journalists meaning incredibly well and having the right motivations and being very supportive. I think there is a reticence for people to cover um, issues around homophobia if they aren't part of the LGBT community. And that's sometimes because they're scared of saying the wrong thing. And that's where I think we maybe at times need to be a little bit gentler and kinder and a little bit more forgiving because you know we if you can see people are coming at it from the right from the right place then it's absolutely fine but i think an, another element of it is that the discriminate in in football with something like racism for example there's a huge amount of discrimination that we visibly see all the time in, in men's football what we don't see so much is discrimination towards gay people it's happened it happens occasionally but actually all the focus that we have to do is it's mostly around inclusion because there is not that visible presence even to be discriminated against. Um, so I think that's the challenge for journalists to find hooks for stories about inclusion um, when stories about discrimination are often far easier uh, to write about as stories. That's a really good point. I think that's a, a good one to come to Matt to discuss as well. Nikki, I just, I just want to say if you do need to to take a couple of minutes that's absolutely fine i think it's all right i'm so sorry i think it's just because i've had sun cream on today because it's that unusually sunny down here and i think some of it's just got in that eye and it started hurting but i think we're all right now sorry for <laughs> no, no not at all knowing that it would be a few minutes before we came back to you i wanted to make sure you use those minutes if you needed but that's all fine matt um so as, as adam was just discussing there then sort of a sense that there might be a bit of a reticence to kind of you know talk about these these issues from a football media perspective but you're somebody who's really kind of you know written about the topic in your columns a couple of times particularly uh, last year and the year before in the women's world cup i remember and the interviews that you've done as well with other sports figures who are lgbt um is that is that a topic that kind of you, you understand what it means to be proud um for those people that you speak about that you write about how do you how do you approach that 
Um, I think I approach it as an education, to be honest. I, I, I think I come at it as someone, you know, I'm the old timer in this group. Um, and it's, it's been trans, you know, the industry is, I mean, far too slowly, I'm sure, but it is changing. It's, there's no doubt it has changed. You know, I started in the um, yeah, early 90s. And, you know, the idea that we'd be having this discussion then, I mean, the idea that we'd be having this technology then would have been bizarre enough. But um, the idea that we'd be, yeah, um, a group of us talking about this, um, the fact that, you know, I'd be able to say, talk about, um, you know, gay colleagues on the sports desk who are, you know, very uh, open about it. And, and, you know, it's not without its challenges. I've spoken to them about it, but it's, it's certainly a, a different world, uh, you know, it was, it's, it was, it still is a hugely conformist world in many ways, you know, can still be a macho world. It, it reflects, certainly in the 90s, it reflected football itself, which was, you know, incredibly conformist. Um, and I, I see that change, as I say, I preface that with, you know, definitely by saying, you know, it's clearly not enough and it's got a hell of a way to go. But, you know, I just, if, you know, if I could mention just one sort of, I guess one, it's not, I hope it sort of straddles this to an extent, but you know, my coming out, so to speak, was when I just did in a column a, a few years back about um, mental health and benefiting from therapy. And it was amazing how many colleagues sort of, you know, got texts or a sort of nudge, nudge conversation with someone who would sort of pull me aside and say, oh, you too, or, but it was all very much under, you know, whisper, whispers in corners. Um, and yet, you know, and that just showed that the industry, you know, it's full, it's full of people with life's issues and that, you know, that's no surprise, but it's still people who feel that they have to, a lot of the time, put up a front and a facade, I think. And, and that is changing. It's improving. I think, you know, the more discussions like this we can have, it will get better. But it, you know, even that just showed to me that, you know, there is, there are so many issues that we can do better at discussing and being open about. Well, I, I'm, I know that we all really appreciate the fact that you're, you know, come at these topics and written about them in a really sort of constructive way and I personally from last year when we communicated a little bit around some of the tabloid coverage I was really appreciative of that and I say maybe we'll, get, we'll come to that in, in a little bit more detail in, in a minute. Leanne to come to you um, pride in two different senses in the game I suppose the pride of all your achievements and now the pride that you hopefully take from the broadcasting that you've been doing so much of particularly in the last six months or to a year um, how do you sort of assess both of those types of vis visibility? Yeah, I think, you know, I was, I was the first ever player, female player to come out that I was gay on my national team. And to be honest, at the time, I didn't really think it was that big of a deal because my story was very different. I think I'm very different to a lot of people. I didn't really grow up feeling like I was gay. You know, I didn't grow up feeling like, I don't know, I feel like I'm quite different. And I often feel like I have to explain that to a lot of people because everyone's story is different, isn't it? But I think, you know, for me, being able to be who I am and use my platform of being who I am to help people, I think that's the biggest honor for me. And the letters that I get, the emails I get, the messages I get, not just from, you know, kids, but parents. Some parents can't come to terms with, you know, their kids. And I don't know the answers. I always say that, you know, I do not know everything. But if being myself can help one person, then that's fantastic for me. So the fact that now I've, you know, I've gone into broadcasting, I haven't actually officially retired, but I, I can't actually see myself you know, playing anymore because I just love what I do now. And I've always loved the game, but I thought being a professional footballer was my dream job. But now that I get to be on TV talking about it, for me, is, is a dream come true. I absolutely, you know, I just came back from Portugal, as I mentioned before, that's why I'm in quarantine and I literally miss working 
like, and I don't even call it work because it's like talking about football. So the fact that I get to do that is just a dream come true to me. So, you know, the visibility of being who I am, I sometimes find it's, it's really amazing that I can do what I'm doing, but sometimes it can be quite difficult in the sense that the conversations I have to have on a daily basis can be quite draining. So, you know, you're often feeling like you're having to educate people a lot. You're often feeling like, you know, but the fact that I could be myself and be accepted, even the fact of like small things like wearing a suit, you know, wearing a three-piece suit on national television and doing it to 10 million people in America, that might not seem that big of a deal, but I just be myself. Sometimes I might want to wear a dress. Sometimes I might want to wear a suit. It's up to me. But I think often people will say, we can't quite work Leanne out. You know, she has a mohawk. She gets likes to get her nails done. She likes to wear makeup. What are you trying to work out? I'm just me. So it's often like one of those things where people are trying to figure me out, like, what is this girl about? But at the same time, I'm just me. And I'm lucky that I also come from a family that accepts me for who I am. And I know not everybody has that luxury and to have the support that I do. So the fact that I've been a professional footballer and I can go into broadcasting as I have done, and it just be kind of, you know, I've had an amazing experience. I can't say I've had people be nasty to me in the workplace, but obviously I'm sure we've all had to deal with our fair share of people not being nice to us on social media which is big and the biggest hurdle, to be honest. But other than that, you know, I feel really blessed that I get to do what I do and be in the position I'm in and, and can help people. And that for me is the biggest feeling, best feeling I can have. And one of the um, projects that we worked on recently together at Sky, and you actually said um, that some of the messages you get that means more to you than medals. Yeah. And um, some people might be quite surprised at that with, you know, all your achievements in the game, but why, why is it just the fact that those two things are very, very different emotions or, or is it, how do you rank one above the other? I think it sounds cliche and it sounds really over the top, but it's like you're saving people's lives. Like the letters and the messages that I get and what people say, it's like how, how they felt really bad, their mental state of mind. And by seeing me on TV and being visible and speaking up and, you know, when no one else is speaking up, as we all do, you know, being us being here today like we are, we all stand for something and we are hopefully showing people that they can be who they are. But it's OK if you also don't have that luxury of doing that. Do you know what I mean? So not everybody's as lucky that they can be visible. And I never want people to feel like they're inadequate because they're not visible, because I think everyone's journey is different. And I get asked the same question all the time oh, when is a gay footballer, male footballer going to come out? And it's the same thing. I'm like, listen, they'll come out when they feel like it and don't feel pressure, you know? And we have to deal with a lot of things in this country right now, racism, homophobia, prejudice. So if we can't provide a positive um, platform for them to do that, then they won't. So, but hopefully things like this can educate. As Matt said earlier about education, sounds like everyone says, but it's true. Education is really the key and people learning because some people like, don't know what to say. They don't know they're saying the wrong thing. I've said this to you before, John, like I don't understand how people cannot understand they're being offensive, but I've been at games before where people have said derogatory homophobic things, but not even know they're saying it. So it's one of those things where it's like, what do I do in that situation? He's putting his arm around me, kissing me because Man United have scored, saying something really derogatory about someone else. So what do I do? Because he's actually on my team, but I'm also, you know what I mean? It's a hard one. So I just think we have to create situations for people to feel comfortable and situations like this is fantastic because hopefully people can see it and they can, you know, educate themselves and learn. Yeah, I'm sure we all absolutely agree. And uh, I think, you know, so much of your visibility leads to that education and, and it's and it's really, really important. Um, Nikki, I think that probably ties in quite a lot with your article in August 2019 when you shared in your own words 
you know your coming out story and in the process of doing that you educated a lot of people along the way about what it means to be trans and I, I remember you described writing in that article writing the piece itself as hunting for moths in quick fog which I thought was a really kind of I can understand what, how you were trying to describe how difficult it is sometimes to find the words when you're writing or speaking your coming out story. And I mean, how, how did you find those moths and what, what was the, the writing process like? Yeah, I mean, I think the end, absolutely so on the money. Um, I think it's one of those things where you are constantly called on to explain something that isn't always easy to explain. And like, it's not always about like, um, sometimes it's just like you can have a feeling of not wanting to have to explain things you just want to get on with your life and that can be quite exhausting but also sometimes it's just trying to find the right way to communicate something about yourself and Yan was talking about her own shades you know one day you might want to wear a suit one day you don't you want to look completely different and that's all shades of a person who has taken a whole lifetime to get to where they've got to like we've all taken all of our lives that we've had so far to get where we are and so for me, like working out myself to the point that I was able to come out, I was able to, I guess, be um, totally upfront with people about who I am, like that took me a lot of years. I'm not going to say my age on, on, on screen, but a lot of years. Um, and so then you're trying to explain all that to someone who doesn't necessarily know you at all, maybe knows your work in an article, it's a lot. Like it's a lot to try to find the right words to tell someone everything that you've gone through to get to this point, everything that you know about yourself. And you don't really want to tell them everything about yourself because there's always things that we want to keep for ourselves. But what, what do you need to tell someone? What is the important stuff? And, and how do you communicate that in a way that someone can understand? And I think that's like, was a really, really, complicated difficult thing to do um the writing process honestly was one of those things where the whole thing um because I came out to editors and producers not long before I did that article I didn't want to give people much time because I didn't want to become gossip like I wanted to own this story myself once it started becoming public um but so I didn't really give myself much time to write it and I had to write it in a fairly um, intense way, I would say, like sometimes, and I'm sure every writer knows this anyway, like sometimes you have a piece or a book or a feature that you can ruminate over for a month. And sometimes you've just got a deadline and you've just got to, to do it. And um, do you know, I, I haven't gone back and looked at that article again in, in a really, really long time. So I couldn't even tell you what's in it. Um, but I think it did what it needed to do. Um, and um, I don't even know if I can tell you about the process that vividly, John, because to be honest with you, I think that whole period of, of my life, that bit leading up to me coming out, like just became a total panic blur. And some of that, as I just said, is actually just like any day working as a journalist when you're like, won't swear, but yeah, you've got an hour, make this many words appear on that page. But some of that is just, I was in a very intense emotional space at that time. So reaccessing that now is, is just quite hard to do, to be honest. And in terms of like the platform you have, I mean, 
obviously I think I'm right in saying, you know, approaching about a hundred thousand people follow you on, on, on Twitter, on social media, which is a big platform. I mean, you must've been, you must've been conscious that this was going to, to be communicated to a lot of people and people would react to it. And I mean, you might t t tell me differently, but I think when we, when we discussed previously, those reactions were so overwhelmingly positive. I mean, did it overwhelm you in terms of, uh, or, or did you really just try to shut, shut it out a little bit and just move ahead? So on the day, uh, I was very lucky. I had one of my oldest friends came to visit and we went, because um, I live in Brighton, we went to sit on the beach and um, I gave my phone to them and said, I'm not going to look at this for a certain amount of time. And that's what we did. And I think that was the right thing to do. I, of course, I knew there was going to be a reaction. I will say that I was astonished by how much reaction there was. I thought it would be a reaction within a quite specific football. And because Twitter is a certain, Twitter isn't, you know, it's a very specific self-selecting crowd. I thought it would be a, a reaction within my bubble, I guess. Whereas there turned out to be some people who responded to it that I really didn't expect um sue perkins responded and i'm still gutted that i haven't managed to parlay that into getting to meet sue perkins because she's an idol but um you know it got more reaction than i thought it was going to um but look of course there was some some not pleasant in it but actually it was it was much more positive than i had ever i would ever have dared imagine it was going to be honestly like i knew at the time when i did it I'd spoken to like my most important employers, my editors and producers. And I was like, okay, I feel like I've got some sort of support circle here, but all the many, many strangers who follow you on Twitter, the people who don't know you, Sue Perkins, like I didn't, I didn't know what that was going to be like. And I feared the worst because you do like the, when you have something that you have been hiding from people, you inevitably have built up the worst case scenario in your head. So I was very much sort of, trapped in that place where I thought it was going to be a lot lot worse than what it was well I know, I know we're all so pleased that you know everything has gone well it's, it, it appears from from our point of view that everything has gone really really well um and obviously you know your career is thriving and and that's you know I think is a huge um plus point for our industry that you know we, we can say that 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 is a real positive point Adam for your experience of coming out within the industry, you know, as a as a as a young man, and to and to navigate kind of your way through, also with social media, and I know you've had your own kind of um, travails, as it were, uh, over the years with with social media. Has has that has that helped you in terms of your visibility? Has that given you more confidence? Yeah, probably. I mean, it's quite. Weird. I mean, I think I I actually came out to my boss at the Daily Mail at the time before even my parents. Um, so I suppose that was a measure of how supportive that environment was at the time. And I know, you know, I'm sure people watching will have their own preconceptions about, about the newspaper, but, you know, I can only judge the people that, that I worked for and how they responded to me um, at that moment. And they were, and they were fantastic. Um, and, and to be honest, I mean, I've never had from any, from anywhere in the industry, I'm not aware of anything um, towards me um on account of my sexuality people might not like me for other reasons um but but for that one um you know i've not had any experience of that uh social media social media i think you know everyone will at one point have people go after them on social media um it might be because of the color of your skin it might be because of who it might be because who you're attracted to it might be because you've 
you've said Jack Grealish shouldn't start for England. I mean, it, it's. I think we're. All, I think a lot of us now are at the point where social media criticism. I, you know, I, I understand why why a lot of people take it to heart and why it affects a lot of people. But it's so absurd that I'm quite good now actually at just compartmentalizing it as this isn't really relevant to 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 to, to my life, and I'm able to sort of back that, that away quite well. Um, so so yes, yeah, so that's where that's where I'm up to with it. Yeah, and I think the representation that you provide, I know we've spoken in our kind of core group as a, as a network that I think each of us is trying to kind of, you know, push things forward a little bit in our own way. And I know that you've certainly done that with the pieces that you've written for The Athletic in recent in recent months. Yeah, and I, I, yeah, I think I'm very impatient um, and I'm very impatient for representation to become better um, in, in sport and, in, and particularly in in men's sport um but we have to balance that against you know we we don't want to be pe people that are pushing people to come out and putting uh, pressure on, on people but you know we also know if we were growing up and there was a player playing for england who was gay our lives growing up would have been completely different um as as young as young guys um of course that's you know there is huge inspiration to be found in in women's sport um the openness the expression is fantastic, um, but we are nowhere nearer, really, in the men's game, um, and that's demoralising. So, yeah, I mean, over the last few months, I've tried to put to put pressure on, and I think, you know, I think generally as a whole, the industry has to apply pressure to clubs and governing bodies to, to suggest that they are doing absolutely everything possible to create the most inclusive environment that they can, and that means, you know, does every football, does every professional football club have an action plan for if a player approaches them one morning and says I'm gay and I want to come out I don't know but do they have that if they don't have that they are failing just because something doesn't exist at this moment it doesn't mean they have to be ready for it and the players have to have the confidence and you know I could go on about other things like you know I think head coaches who are obviously coming from all different cultures I think they should be given inclusion training in terms of how to deal with that because it could be a player who's 33 that's coming to you or it could be a player that's 16 that's coming to you um, and they have to be able to deal with that as line managers you know these are employers and they have to be responsible so I think that's where I want to see greater accountability and then also you know when we have these tournaments and these finals in places where homophobia is not just present but rife well if you're going to award it then you know I always you know I don't have an issue for example really with Gdansk or Qatar even being given a World Cup my, my focus is always well if you're going to have that spotlight then let's shine that spotlight and let's challenge and let's see what we can do to you know to try and improve try and improve the world and change minds and, and expose injustices um, and I do you know I think across the board there needs to be more of that yeah absolutely I, I suppose to take your point there about things that need to change in the game to create this more welcoming, inclusive environment. Matt, something that you've you've written about in your columns, which we mentioned a little bit earlier, and I think you said, um, in terms of the media's role, in terms of how the media plays a part, you know, silhouettes, teasers, and guessing games probably aren't the best way forward if we're going to try and change this environment. And why do you think that kind of media coverage still happens every few months or so? And what can the back pages, what can the football media do to kind of influence the front page editorial? Um, well, yeah, I mean, why it still happens, I guess um, it's the it's our industry's sort of 
ten, well, age-old tendency to treat sort of people's you know lives as stories, and, and sadly, in this case, there's salacious. You know, there's a salaciousness attached to it because I think the the secrecy is rooted. At, you know, to be sadly blunt, it's it will be rooted in a age-old prejudice as well. That if there is a secrecy to it, that secrecy must be attached to. I don't know whether to to an age-old idea that there should have been shame attached to it, or you know, it it it's that comes from I think decades back, and that's what we're still trying to eradicate. And and, and yeah, I mean, you you were hugely educational to me about it. You know, I came to that story and said I saw the the sort of as you say the silhouettes. Who is the gay footballer? And that sort of frenzy of of guessing around it, which has been around for for as long as I've been in the trade. I mean, when I started, that was, there was open gossip of, oh, have you heard about this? Have you heard about that? And it was all, again, treated as this sort of um, salacious story rather than someone's life and, and you know, and and someone's potential challenge and someone's potential misery. Uh, um, you know, it was treated as who can get the, the big scoop. And I think in terms of, of practical ways of dealing with that, I mean, I think representation has to be absolutely key. I think having people like you know um well all you know you guys sort of you know talking about this openly being being in offices um as i say i've worked for now um uh, you know, uh gay guys on the on the sports desk who are open about it and we discuss these issues and we write about these issues in a different way i think it's discussed differently around sports desks and you just have to hope that you know the education we're all having to go through just keeps spreading and keeps spreading and keeps spreading and and that we we turn down the volume on this sort of idea that it is you know a salacious story that we're all in a frenzy to get and that we're all you know who you know who who can find out who it is who you know that's um the searchlight culture that you sort of educated me about that 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 needs to change Adam, I'll come to you in a second. I just wanted to speak to Leanne about what her thoughts were on this. I know it's something you often get asked about, you know, the women's game, the men's game and all these kind of comparisons. But, but you know, for you coming into the media industry, were you always conscious of this kind of, these kind of narratives being spun and, you know, that what Matt refers to as the, the kind of attachment of shame to, to a lot of these stories and the effect that that potentially has on people who are LGBT in football? Yeah, definitely. I think we're always, you know, in the women's game, there's there's a lot of um, players that are not gay. I think there's a stereotype that there used to be every single female player is gay. And if you're a male player, you can't be gay. You know, both those stereotypes are not correct, but they come, stereotypes come from a place where people don't know what they're talking about, in my opinion. Do you know what I mean? So for me, like, I just think when it comes to male players, you know, again, there must be a reason why players don't come out because there's not a protective environment for them to do that. You know, Adam touched upon it earlier about, you know, I think it was Adam that said about how, you know, is there a place in position in place at teams when a player does come out? You know, do they have that in place? I don't think they do. And I think I constantly hear a lot from players, you know, I don't care if my teammate's gay, you know, it doesn't matter. I get that, which is absolutely fantastic. But unfortunately, there are people that do care and it's not going to be easy. And I've said this many times, when there is the first player that comes out when they're actively playing, Thomas Hitzelsberger came out when he retired. Robbie Rogers retired and came out of retirement once he realised that it was okay, if you know what I mean, that he got a good response. So, but once it, when the first person does come out, it is going to be a big deal. It really is. Like, and that, there's no two ways about it. But hopefully, being that first person can allow other players to feel more comfortable. You know, and we'll be here in 10 years' time. Hopefully, all of us will still be having the same conversations, but, you know, progressive on, um, where it's okay. 
you know, because everybody else kind of says, well, you know, it doesn't matter, all these things, but it does matter, you know, it really does. So I don't think, you know, I constantly get asked a question a lot. I've been at events before where people have come up to me and have tried to tell me who they think is gay in the men's game. That's getting nobody anywhere. And that actually happens. And I just think to myself, and these are people that are in a position of power in a weird way where they're making decisions. And I'm thinking, why are you coming up to me telling me, oh, I think this player's gay? That, we're not getting anywhere. So, you know, and, and it's, it's a massive conversation, a conversation way longer than we could have probably till, you know, the World Cup in Qatar. So, yeah. Yeah, um, we are going to take some questions. So please do send them in via the Q&A facility and on, on Twitter with the hashtag Taking Pride. Adam, you had your hand up while Matt was speaking. Was, was there anything kind of you wanted to add to what he was saying? Yeah, and, uh, sorry. Yeah, I think most of it's been covered. But I, um, I was just thinking the it's the salaciousness mixed with the novelty, the novelty factor of it being the first that really drives the interest, not only of the back of the papers, but the front of the papers. Um, and it was interesting what Matt was saying, just about the language that's used um, as well. It was just, you know, when I was doing that piece on, Justin Fashionu, the front page of The Sun, when he came out in their paper in an interview, said, Justin Fashionu confesses. And, and it was this sense of he's done something wrong. He, he is doing something wrong by, by explaining who he is in their newspaper in an exclusive, in an exclusive interview that he's, that he's given to them. So that, that has obviously moved on, I would hope, over time. But you, there's still a lot of you know, language when, when athletes do come out, where it's admits rather than reveals, or, um, you know, it's not as strong as confesses, but I do think that sense of confession and admission is still prevalent. Um, and it's one of the very easy things that newsrooms would be able to change. Just, just before I come back to, to Nikki, I just wanted to ask Matt about the reactions that Times readers have to the columns that you've written on this topic. I think I looked at something you'd written around the Women's World Cup in 2019 and the visibility that there was around that tournament. And then of course, the piece that you wrote last year that, that we discussed about the tabloids, but I could see that you'd engaged with a lot of the readers in the comments section. And a lot, a lot of them were, let's say they weren't kind of on board with the topic even being up for discussion, but you, you were there to try to kind of steer them to, around to your way of, of thinking. I mean, is that, is, that, is that something that you've kind of, you will pick and choose your battles a, a little bit, shall we say, in well, terms of trying to bring people with you? I think the feedback, you have to look at the feedback and you have to learn from it. And you, I guess, have to realise that, you know, I, I, you know, we can't use the word enough on, on, on this, that education, you know, just reminds you of how much, you know, I, I came off that and thought, right, we need to write another 50 of these articles. You know, the more you read people saying, you know, sort of, you know, uh, what's this got to do with me? Or, I mean, I think that point Leanne makes is that, you know, a lot of people would um, re replied to the piece I, when I talked about with you, which was saying, who cares, you know, if they want to come, someone wants to, a male player wants to come out, he can come out, you know, you know, what's the big fuss? Um, but as Leanne rightly says, <laughs> there is a fuss because, you know, because no one's, there's a reason why no one has, has, has done it yet. There is a reason why, however much we, try and sort of reassure and say that the world's moved on that it's you know I, I remember speaking to Tom, Thomas Hitzelsberger about it and he was saying you know as much a reason for not coming out is simply the burden you will carry if you are still a player it's not you know not necessarily even the you know, abuse you may or may not get it's the fact that the world will want to you know we you know every news organization in Europe will want to interview you and you know that's a heck of a that's a heck of a thing to carry while trying to 
you know, be a high profile professional sports person. So, yeah, it's it's, you know, as you try and respond to, to, to these this feedback as much as possible and trying to explain, look, this does matter. You know, this is a big deal for for some people it is and and also to speak to you know the people um you know who have been through it like thomas Hitzberger, and talk about the burden that they were carrying while they were weighing all that up during their career as well and and the toll that that can take so yeah you just have to keep engaging i think that's you know take from that is that you know you you can put an article out like, like that out there you can be thoroughly depressed by some of the feedback, but then you just have to realize we just have to keep engaging and engaging and engaging. <clears throat> Leanne, you've, uh, you wanted to pick up on something that Matt said. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, talking about Thomas Hitzelsberger and how he felt about he'd always be asked a question. When I signed for Juventus, I got to a point where I had to say, you know, I'm not doing any more interviews about being gay because they might as well copy and paste every one that I've done. And I think I was getting to a point where, and I say this and I sound like I'm on repeat, but I become Leanne Sanderson, you know, the gay footballer, as opposed to Leon Sonneton, the footballer happens to be gay. So it often gets to a point where I played in Cyprus, Spain, Italy, and some countries, you know, are less progressive than others. But at the same time, I completely understand where Thomas Hitzesberger was coming from because I feel like, you know, I've done a lot in my career, you know, won a lot, but I feel like it's almost being gay has overtaken that, which is absolutely fine. But at the same time, you're just like, okay, can we just like put that to the back? I just want to play football in Italy. It's fantastic the Juventus have signed me. You know, I'm open with who I am. And it is a big deal. I understand in Italy, it was a massive deal. Nikki probably can relay that message as well. But then it was just becoming a bit too much. It wasn't really about me as a footballer. It was just about, you know, me I'm being gay. And I didn't want that to be the only focus. So, yeah, I, I reiterate what Matt was kind of saying, what Thomas Hitzersberger was kind of saying. And can I jump in? I haven't raised my hand in the thing. Yes, of course. Sorry, yes. Sorry, John, I'm going to completely derail you and not take this where you're trying to take us. Um, no, I just I just thought I was, I, I just wanted to really agree with that, basically. I, I think, um, I know for myself that after I came out, there were a lot of interview requests and I just said no to all of them. And I basically still haven't done any. And I'm starting to think maybe I might do one or two and I'm doing this, obviously. But just because we are... LGBTQI plus doesn't mean that that's what we want our whole lives to be about. That's something that we are, and it's something that we choose. We should have the the right and the ability to choose when we talk about. But I think it's something that whoever, you know, whenever a, a male footballer does come out um, publicly, I, I think that's going to be something they're going to have to fight against really hard, unless they want that to be their identity going forward. They will always be, for lots of people, the gay footballer, and I think that's why it's such a a pressured and intense thing now for whoever does it and I think it's you know it's really unfair on that person actually to ask someone to not just sort of make this um but you know, possibly private thing about themselves who knows because it will depend on that person public but also then to be rebranded by default whatever else they've done in their career suddenly that won't be the thing that people talk about with them they'll talk about this thing instead I'm really pleased you said that because that didn't derail at all. It was exactly what I what I wanted to ask you about, and and just kind of as a as a sidebar to that, really, because I always think when we're doing some of the journalism that, that we do at Sky and that I've that I've written, I've always got this thought in that in my mind of visibility with a purpose, of particularly when I, when I'm writing stories about people who are trans or non-binary in sport, because I know that sometimes visibility isn't a great thing to have, and mm. it, and it come and with it comes you know, reactions or p 
people thinking they they can have an opinion on you and, and voice it so i suppose for you I, I mean when when people talk about you know if if i talk about visibility with a purpose what to you is like a meaningful um way that you can sort of talk about that part of who you are is it is it pride month you know is, is it these kinds of like points in the calendar i i don't think i um necessarily have a, a clear answer that i've even worked out for myself to be honest john um i think uh like i'm, I'm not shy about who i am every day i go out and, and do anything here i am in the world being myself but in terms of sort of choosing to talk about this specific part of who i am i i feel like i the reason i've been sort of reluctant to, to talk about it before now has been several reasons I think a big part of it is personal self-protection honestly like I, I didn't want to talk about anything until I felt confident in my own sort of groundedness to talk about anything and part of it comes down to what you're talking about which is what's it going to be in aid of like what is this um conversation going to do because if it's just talking for the sake of talking I'm not so keen on it this conversation specifically when Carrie came and talked to me about it, I felt like, you know what, would I want other trans people or other LGBTQI plus people under, you know, anywhere in, in the rainbow to feel like they can work in this industry? Yes, that's the thing I want people to feel like. Um, and do I feel like this is a platform and a space in which that's going to be a, a constructive conversation that we're having rather than being somewhere in the town square, as it were, um, sometimes where you just are going to get a bunch of trying to find polite words to use trolls um, who just want to derail the conversation. And I think that's a really hard thing. And I, I think it's a really hard thing really often when you talk about um, these issues of identity is that there is a large group of people who are just waiting these days to jump on these conversations and derail them and turn them into some horrible culture war nonsense that I I just don't want to engage with in any way. Like I don't want to spend my time and my life giving my energy to those people. I just don't. So trying to find ways to do it constructively is, is a dance that I don't think I've sussed at all. But I think that's kind of um, what I'm trying to think about when I think about when and where to talk about these things is, is this going to be a uh, a good arena in which to discuss these things or is it just going to be somewhere where it's going to give um an excuse for those people who don't have our interests at heart to throw mud basically well i i completely understand that and i i, I think you know hopefully as you say there'll be people who are maybe watching this or have you know, read your work or seen you um broadcasting and and will think this is an industry that i myself could could go into because you're providing that representation um i think it's really important um just before we come to the questions i just wanted to ask adam um from his point of view mentioned qatar in the world cup and kind of looking ahead to kind of going out there potentially next year and there's other places of course like russia and azerbaijan currently hosting the euros is the fact that these countries have poor records on lgbt rights is that is that in your mind when you potentially look at where you might get sent to, to write about yeah, I'll, I'll wait and see what my boss says about whether I'm going to the World Cup or not. Um, but it's very good that you've put it on record that, that you are hoping that I go um, and I'll make sure that he sees it. Um, but I, th I think, um, I, I don't think, 
I don't think I worry about it from a work capacity because I'm going for work. You know, if I was going with a boyfriend or a husband, it, it would be a very different thing. I'm not about to go on holiday with a partner to Baku um, or to Gdansk to, um, in that sense. But, you know, I wouldn't think twice about going for work to Qatar because, you know, as a journalist, it's a fascinating, compelling story um, and, and, very, and a very exciting uh, place to be working at. Now, I know some people listening might say, well, you know, you should, boy you know, if, if you feel this strongly, that it was the wrong that, that they shouldn't be hosting it, then you should boycott it. And, and, may, and maybe, maybe that's, maybe that's, maybe that's true. You know, but as I said earlier, I think the whole, po the whole point of, of, of major international tournaments is that you connect different cultures together and you expose different cultures to each other. And that means, you know, places like Qatar and Russia in an ideal world take things from us. And we, uh, you know, the guy, the people that were covering the World Cup in Russia in 2018, by all accounts, had a fantastic time for, for three or four weeks and elements of the, of the culture that they wouldn't have known about before that they're able to embrace. I think the, the demoralizing thing is, you know, you look at the situation for uh, a lot of situations in Russia, but the situation for LGBT people in Russia and Chechnya and it I think it's become clear that it was a four-week performance for tourists and for traveling journalists that everything was made to look okay and then it goes back to how it was for for, for the ordinary citizen in, in in Russia and that's that's not something we can control you know all we can do as journalists is you know when when something is happening cover it in the right way expose what we feel to be the injustices are in, in a sensitive way um, but also don't make presumptions about all the people who are in those countries about what they're going to be like. I think I'm right in saying, Leanne, that you you've, you um, played in the UAE. Am I right with that? Uh, no, um, that's, that's why I was actually yeah. going to come in because I've been to Qatar three times mm. and um, I haven't played there, but I've been there three times. And when I originally got asked to go, people said to me, you know, I got abused. They're like, why would you go to a place like that? You know, with the laws that they have and stuff like that. And honestly, I can honestly say like, the way that I was treated was unbelievable. They were amazing to me, honestly. And I just think, I know some people might not feel like they might go there and have the same experience, but I was able to open up the main Khalifa Stadium to an all-female all uh, football camp, you know, things like that, and meet with people that they wouldn't think would accept someone like myself. Mm -hmm. So I come from a different angle. When I first went out there, I felt like people going to me, oh, you need to be careful. If I ever got there and felt scared, I'd have been on the first flight home. <laughs> but... I know from my own personal experiences that I've been there three times and I know you, you, you can go with certain people and it'd be better and they want to show you all the things, but I did go out on my own and I did see, you know, went to the, the souk and stuff like that and went to see places to see what it was really like. Mm -hmm. And I can honestly say, I absolutely had an amazing time. The three times that I went, I never felt, no, but you're right. You wouldn't choose to go on holiday to a place that you know doesn't accept you the same as I wouldn't choose to go and live somewhere. But, I do think that me going there and being visible really helped. I'm so glad I went and I would go back there again. And I'm really excited for the World Cup, genuinely. And I know there's a lot of, you know, negativity around the workers and things like that. I know that, you know, I'm not saying everything is fantastic, but I can only speak from how I felt when I was there. And I didn't think I'd feel the way that I did. And I can honestly say I had an unbelievable experience. Well, I mean, we've all got this to look forward to, and I'm sure there's going to be so much discussion around uh, this particular aspect of the World Cup as we as we get closer to Qatar. I think it's really great to hear different perspectives. Um, 
I know we've just kicked off in the Euros game, so I've got a couple of questions that have come in. So we'll see if we can get around these quickly and then I can let you escape and watch the football. So Daniel has uh, messaged uh, part of our network, Daniel Khan. Thanks, Daniel, for your message. As a young LGBTQ sports journalist who's about to enter the industry, what's your one piece of advice tip for myself? So I think he's asking, you know, um, about his own personal sort of coming into the industry as a young man who's LGBT, what kind of advice would, would you give him? Adam, I think you're probably best place to answer this one first. Um, this, I, th I would give him the same advice that I give to anyone, regardless of their sexuality, which is have ideas and work hard um, and be prepared to do things that other people maybe don't want to do um, at certain times. Um, you know, I think there's enough when you look at the way that Sky, BBC, Time Sports Desk, the Athletic Sports Desk, the Male Sports Desk, that the environment will be welcoming. Um, it's just up to him to, to make an impression when he gets a chance. And Nikki, would you like advocate for that authenticity aspect when you're coming into the industry as well? I'm only slightly offended that you went to Adam first because he's young and you went <laughs> to a young person entering the industry. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> I, I agree. I, I think that if there's one thing that my last two years have, have taught me is that the industry is, is overwhelmingly accepting. That doesn't mean that the world and everyone who follows football will be, but the, the industry in, in Britain at least is overwhelmingly accepting. So the LGBTQ part of it is almost the, the bit that I think is you least need to worry about. I think exactly as Adam said, work hard, find something. I think find something that you're really passionate about because that way you're working hard at it. Like Leanne said earlier, won't feel like work anyway, you'll want to do it. And the one other thing that I always think um, I remember from when I was first getting into the industry is being really important. If you are ever given an opportunity to spend time, if you're on work experience somewhere or anything like that, to spend any amount of time away from the desk with people who are working there, take it. Even if you don't drink, go to the pub if you're invited, because those conversations that you have there, getting to know people a little bit, it's actually really important for helping people to remember who you are, I think. I think that's moments away from when everyone's got tunnel vision on what they're working on can be really important on just helping people remember you exist and maybe they'll think to call you some point later. And, and Matt, when um, there, there is a statistic that a lot, a lot of us know, I think, in the, in the LGBT community about how when young people go into their first job, you know, a lot of them have been out at university or at college to their friends, but they go into their first job and they go back into the closet because they're not sure about the workplaces that they're going into. And I think it's about 40% it's about of LGBT young people kind of have that experience. I mean, for, you, for, you, for yourself, having seen colleagues come out, you know, in, in the sports media industry, did you see a, a change in them? Did you see them kind of grow in confidence? Were you kind of conscious of that? Um, well, I'm, I'm certainly, you know, I'm heartened by what Adam and Nikki have just said about, you know, about the fact that they sort of regard sexuality as almost, you know, certainly certainly not the first, second or third thing that, that you know, anyone think, thinking of coming into the trade should be thinking about. And as I say, I can only reflect what, what you know, it's, I don't think it's any coincidence that, you know, I did not have a, as far as I know, well, certainly not an openly gay colleague for, you know, the first two decades of my working career on a sports desk and, and you know, several, several um, who are thri thriving now, um, as far as I can tell, say entirely relaxed and, and open about their, about their sexuality, you know, in, in work and beyond. So, I, you know, I do, you know, kind of that's speaking anecdotally, but I see that change. Um, 
And I think, you know, I totally echo Nikki's point there about the conversations that anyone getting into the industry should have, you know, the sort of the best and worst thing about the industry is that there are no qualifications required whatsoever. I mean, you, you know, you can, you can wing it, busk it, do whatever you like, but you ultimately you need to be able to deal with people. So people, it's, you know, the best journalists are, are, have a lot of you know, broad range of skills, but they know how to handle people. And, and, you know, it's, it's have that conversation. It's make yourself known. It's pick up the phone. It's persevere with all those sort of conversations because say it's, it's, it is an industry that still relies on a lot of word of mouth, a lot of, you know, who you know, a lot of just making yourself visible and putting yourself out there with, with people saying, yes, I'll, I'll do that. I'll take that chance and, and say that sounds chaotic and it's a slightly chaotic industry, but that's sometimes why we love it as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think confidence plays a really big part in, in being willing to kind of stick, stick your hand up and have a go at something which maybe you're, you know, could be a really big thing for your career. Le Leanne, um, for yourself, have you had other players kind of say, say to you, oh, I, I love seeing you on TV. I, I'd love to do the same thing. Um, how do I go about getting into the industry? Have you had those kind of conversations? Um, yes and no. I think a lot of, you know, um, really good support. I was actually, when I was in Portugal, I met with my former teammate, Rachel Unit, and she was just, you know, kind of reiterating to me how great it is for me to be able to be myself. Because everybody that's known me, plays with me, will know I'm, I'm really, I'm not saying I'm the perfect person, John, by all means. But what I'm saying is I'm a very good teammate. I love my teammates and I'm always going to be myself. And I think sometimes that's not got me as far as it should have in my career. Sometimes it's cost me opportunities, but all can I ever be is honest, you know, myself. And she said to me, you know, when you're out there on TV, I know you're being you. And I think a lot of my teammates can see that. And I think when I obviously play for England, you're quite restrained. You know, when I do talk sport now, I can be free in what I want to say. Um, there's nobody telling me what I can and can't say or the questions to be asked. And I really like that. You know, I always felt quite difficult when I played for England because I always felt like I was restricted. Um, not because I was going to say anything wrong, but I just always felt like we were quite controlled. So I quite like now that I can kind of be free and um, be myself. So, you know, there's a lot of people, um, you know, we talk about people and times changing, but there's obviously a lot of females that have been former players that are doing a punishment at the Euros this time. And it's amazing. You know, it's fantastic. And I think being the first is always difficult, isn't it? I think what people realise is we're not going anywhere. So being a female, you know, I say I tick all the wrong boxes to some people, you know, I'm female, I'm gay, I'm black. It's sometimes difficult for people to understand and take. But I think when people realise you're not going anywhere and you're just here and you're not, you're going to stay, they stop, you know, like the abuse because... People are not going to like you. They might not like me because they might not like me. But when they have the abuse that comes with it, I really don't understand that. So, you know, thankfully, I've supported people around me because sometimes it isn't easy when you get abuse, like I do sometimes. But there are people that do support me and they outweigh the negatives. So it's fantastic. And hopefully we'll see more, you know, people on the TV that can be, you know, advocates like us. Well, that's just can I just add briefly on that? Because I mean, one thing you know, should have I should have said before as well, but just about female representation as well as you know, as Leanne says, I mean, the fact that Emma Hayes, you know, I think on the previous game was doing co coms, go coms, and um, by all accounts, being as brilliant as she always is, um, you know, she's one of the you know, if I want to learn something about football, she's one of the first people I call full stop, you know, across across men's and women's games. Um, and again, you know, without at the risk of sounding like a dinosaur, the idea that that, you know, that would be happening, the, the idea that Carrie would be in her position, um, you know, in, in, in the FWA itself has, you know, has, has had to go through very belated, you know, very, very, you know, there was a, 
when I started in the industry, there was something called the um, Ladies' Night, um, which was, you know, which was an award where the sort of, you know, football writers were were meant to sort of take along their their partner and and sort of treat them to a night out with a load of football writers, which probably sounded absolutely like hell to a lot of their partners. But um, you know, it's 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 you know, it, even in you know my twenty five odd years, it's. You know, sometimes we can get depressed about the sort of state of the world here, but it it's it's you know it is moving in the right direction, however however frustratingly and slowly that might feel to people at times. Wow, that's an illuminating little bit of FWA history and trivia there. Um, I'm glad to, to to know that that no longer takes place. Um, a question from Karis says, uh, "How have you all dealt with roadblocks being put in front of you in your workplaces?" When it comes to writing or discussing LGBT topics, I mean, from my own personal experience, you know, I'm very fortunate that Sky Sports signed up to support the Rainbow Laces campaign, which kind of gave me pretty much carte blanche to write lots of different things about being LGBT in sport for a number of years now. So I'm I'm, I'm hugely grateful. But have you, have either of you, any of you, encountered any kind of, you know, maybe not opposition, maybe not roadblocks, but some people who kind of said something, you know, that kind of steered you or attempted to steer you away from covering something? in this space um it seems seems like everyone's i mean obviously adam you've written some pieces recently it sort of shows that the athletic is is a platform of course for long form feature writing and you can really get into the nuances of the topic in 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 the platform that you have yeah and i think that's also you know sometimes people you know, people have said or oh, why haven't other publications done that and it's you know part of that is just a privilege of that the you know some of the word lengths that, that we have and the space that we have compared to you know to a newspaper um so i think that's really the reason for that but i think we also have i think we have a really good culture um which makes me sound now like a football manager talking about the dressing room but i do think you know we've got an lgbt sport edit, um, uh, editor of the, of the publication in the uk um we have several members of staff who are lgbt we have a lot of diversity in our staff um, and I think it shines through in the coverage because when things are happening that affect people in real lives we're able to you know it's not you can't always have um, you know I can't talk about racism with the authority that Leanne can talk about racism I can attempt to report on it and attempt to bring in as many voices as possible but I can't portray how that feels and how um and what it's like to live in that environment in the same way as you know i'm sure from nick from nikki's perspective you know just following what's been happening with the charity stone wall over the last few weeks it's been i felt myself as someone who is supportive of trans people becoming incredibly exasperated and annoyed on behalf of of the community but again i can't fully explain how that feels so to have that representation and that culture where we try and encourage both visibility and representation is absolutely crucial and it empowers um, writers, I think, to produce better work. Yeah, absolutely. I think we're always really encouraged in our group when we talk about things in our in our group chat about, you know, seeing a bit more representation, in, mm -hmm. particularly in different different publications, different outlets, yeah. places where we haven't really seen the topics kind of been reported on before. I think that always gives us a lot yeah. of encouragement. And I think as well, I mean, if people think that I think some people think the athletic is like a very sort of, I suppose, centre-left woke publication. Actually, a lot of our subscribers are US. And, you know, if you look in the comment section underneath articles at times, you know, we are having to take people on a journey. 
Um, you know, we are not preaching to the converted here, um, you know, in much the same way as when Matt does stuff for the Times and things like that. You know, we are de we're dealing with a, a big section of football fans um, and at different times you have to challenge them um, in certain ways and have the confidence to take them on that journey with you. Yeah, okay. Let's come to the final question. Um, so it's from Naomi Reed, who joins us and asks about the, the culture wars in the wider media. And uh, Naomi speaks as being a, a member of the LGBTQ community herself. And she wants to know, it appears as if having more authentic LGBTQ voices could help to change this narrative around the, the culture war. So introducing people, um, you know, to more people who are trans, for example, more people who are non-binary. But how do we make this happen as media outlets, particularly newspapers, when those same publications are often writing deeply problematic articles? Um, and, you know, how do, how do we do that in sports? Um, potentially, Leanne, uh, have you sort of found that, that there are ways in which, as a media industry, we can talk more about the community in a way that's really, really productive, really constructive? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot in that question and I'll try to answer it. But what I do think is that I want there to be more than just, you know, a month. I think Pride Month is so important, but I want there to be more than just a, a two weeks in a year that we wear rainbow laces. You know, I want it to be a consistent conversation. And I think it's so important. The rainbow lace is fantastic. You know, I love it, John. I absolutely love it. Wear the laces, everything like that. What you do is fantastic. And I know you do it every day. But I want everybody else to do it every single day. I want everybody else. And I, and I think that's sometimes the hard thing. It's like, okay, yeah, we're going to celebrate this one month for being gay, but it's every day. So I just want those things to continue and the conversations to continue. But I agree with something that Matt said earlier about, you know, we have to also celebrate where we're at. I think sometimes there's a lot of negativity in conversations about where we're not at. But actually, we're very, it's very progressed. There's still some people, sorry, what? And he attacked me. Um, there's still some, you know, there's a lot of people that still need to, you know, grow with the times and get with the times, but we do have to celebrate, we have progressed a lot. The fact that we're having these conversations now in 2021, you know, I didn't think um, we'd ever be at this point. So there are progressions. So, you know, I hope I answered the question in a roundabout way. I feel like there's a lot of to answer in there, but yeah, I just want it to be kind of a consistent where the conversation continues and it's not just like a few weeks or a month of the year. <clears throat> Matt, one of the examples I thought about this uh, as the question was was put to us was your interview with Philippa York in cycling soon after she came out as trans in that industry. And then I was kind of reminded of it the other day because the new mur the new mural of, of Robert Miller, which has been un unveiled in, in Lennox Town, was on the front page of The Scotsman. And there was lots of media publicity around that last week. And I, I thought that was a really great way that a lot of people might not have known about Philippa's story, but they might have been introduced to it for the first time by your interview or by that media coverage. Yeah. And if you speak to Philippa, I mean, just about how much her um, um, life has changed and the way that she is now open as she's you know, doing TV, she's doing um, regular cycling columns. And this was someone who, you know, understandably and for the, their own very good reasons was incredibly secretive for a long a long time and, and incredibly protective of of her personal uh, story and her personal journey um and you know she needed that time um to to think about how she wanted to to you know talk about it and to, and, and and portray herself and now i think she's been you know i can't I, at the risk of speaking for her i think she and, and I think we can see this in the fact that the amount of media she's doing, she's been very pleasantly surprised by the, the reaction, um, by the way that, to be honest, quite quickly, um, 
and maybe this is cycling, but you know, still been you know exposed in in mainstream media. But quite quickly, the story has been allowed to move on from her, you know, you know sexuality and 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 that you know she is now you know a major authentic cycling voice. You know, that's you know you come to um, her articles and her TV and so on for her you know huge cycling knowledge and, and understanding. So I think that's been again. You know, looking to the to the positives, I think I think you know Philippa would would count herself as a, a sort of you know through all kinds of difficulties, and you know she did have a terrible time with with media, you know, in certainly in the last decade. But I think you know now she would say that yeah, it's it's a world that's welcomed her, and 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 that's a good that's a positive story. And 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 Nikki did. Did uh, Philippa's story resonate with you, or were there other stories of, of in the media that that have kind of meant a lot to you as as, as you as you've learned about them? Um, Philippa's story I didn't know about until after I came out, actually. So that one I have to admit um, had had passed me by because um, cycling is not an area that I um, had paid much attention to. Cycling, I have to admit, but um, I think this is it. Kind of the whole thing brings me back to something that I was trying to say before, which I think is such a big topic that I almost sort of have been. Um, not wanting to sort of get into it because it's, I won't be able to say everything there is to say about this because it's so complicated. But I think sometimes a lot of us who are in this position of being visible by default or being sort of publicly out in this way might come across this sort of um, struggle to work out what the best thing is to do in terms of um, this whole um, topic that Naomi's mentioning the the culture wars the the fact that horrible articles get written sometimes even by the publications that we work for and you think is the best thing that i can do to engage this head on or am i going to get dragged down into a never-ending conversation that you can't win that you're going to just be there fighting with people who are bad faith actors anyway and you can't persuade them or is the best thing that i can do to go on and thrive and you know, on a personal level, you're going to have an answer for that question, because I don't think that anyone in, again, the same, these are all threads that we've talked about already, in the same way that Leanne was talking about before with like, you don't want to just be the gay footballer. No one should feel obliged to be that. Everyone should have the right to thrive on their own terms anyway. But also, is the best thing that you can do sometimes to help those conversations, the bigger conversations, is it just to get on and thrive? Because in the end, I think that progress that Matt has talked about that I think is is real and I think definitely in the world sometimes it does feel a bit two steps forward and one step back and I think sometimes that is how the world progresses sometimes but I think I um you know every time I walk out my house I am a trans person every time I come back in my house I'm a trans person when I go to cover a football match I'm a trans person that's something that I am all the time every day but is you know and I don't have the answer really but that's kind of the the thing that I try to work out and and I think where I am right now in answering that question is I feel like um what can we do to make this happen is to thrive like to get on and do it and and that's my answer for me but it isn't the answer that I think necessarily has to be everyone's answer but that's yeah it's a like I say, it's a big topic and I feel like I could talk about it a lot and I'm trying to think how to distill big topic into small segments. 
No, I think you've explained it very well. I, th I think it is a, a complex one to, to, to answer. A Adam. Yeah, um, I, I was just thinking back. The first, the first week I started full time at the Daily Mail, um, which was only about three months after I'd, I think, even sort of started coming out to friends. And I was, I suppose, still trying to work out what on earth being gay meant, um, the things that I was meant to think and all these sort of things. And I remember the first week I was there, there was what is now quite an infamous front page of the Daily Mail, which was basically pitting um, your, your grandma's cataracts operations um, against funding for um, the HIV prevention drug PrEP. Um, and it was basically saying, you know, what a twisted use of resources, you know, to put this money into protecting gay men who have too much sex, um, when you're when you know we know all these old people who need eye operations um, and it was clearly you know a bad faith um, argument to start off with and I, I remember at the time some of my friends who are gay who were further along in that journey and understanding all these different tropes and and arguments saying to me like is there anything you can do like um, how can you how can you how can you, you know, be on the back page that day when that's on the front page, etc. And I suppose there's two, there's two ways of looking at it. One is, you know, probably I didn't know enough. Two, I was probably quite cowardly. Um, I think it would take a very brave person, you know, to walk in as on your first week full time at a national newspaper and tell the front page of the newspaper they've got it wrong. Um, if we're being honest, and I, I think even maybe even 15 years down the line, that doesn't become that much easier if you're a sports writer um, because, you know, your pace do your job and you know that there is this distinction. Um, so, you know, it's clear that there are still unwelcome articles and unwelcome headlines and damaging articles. But I think, you know, what I would say to any young LGBT journalist who might be watching that is that there is this cocoon of protection in the sports pages, you know, from editors, from senior writers, um, from colleagues at different newspapers, um, from the sport media LGBT group, from you know yourself, John, that have done inc incredible work. And, and what I would say is, even in those places where you fear it might not be right for you, which is of course a decision that people are entitled to take, there is protect. There are ways that you will feel included um, and safe. Um, but clearly, you know th that issue of of culture wars is not is not going anywhere um you know when you have a government that's ramping it up all the time so that is not going anywhere and you know i, I do i do wonder whether newsrooms will go a little bit more american we know you know with the new york times and things like that the staff have a far bigger say you know when things are printed in the paper that they maybe don't like i wonder if over time british publication staff may start mobilizing a little bit to say actually we don't really like that thing you've written about trans people this week. It doesn't reflect the majority of our views and you're receiving quite a large portion of space that perhaps tars the whole publication at times. But again, I mean, that is, it's not going anywhere, that debate. I think that in itself is, is a bit of a pride wish for, for the future. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that could be a good, a good thing to wrap up on. If, if I come to each of you in turn and say, if we had this panel event in five years time, you know, what one thing would you would you wish that we might have in football um, that would have moved things forward f from a pride point of view? Um, Adam, that can be yours or you can choose a different one. But 
Um, I'll come to each of you in turn. So, so Nikki, if your if your pride wish for five years time in in football, what what would that be? God, I wish you'd gone to someone else first. Okay, I don't I know. Come back I really to you. don't. You know, I, I think there's a really easy answer here, which is I would love there to be not one, but a good number of gay male footballers out just playing and it not to be a big conversation point. I would love that to be true. Um, but uh, I think I think that um, for five years, I don't know. Maybe it could happen. Maybe once, once, once someone is brave enough, um, it, the 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 whole landscape could change. But I also I, I come down really heavily, really heavily, actually, on the side of no one should feel compelled. So it's it's a really complicated pride wish for me. I would love for the world to be like that. I would love for the world to be that not just in football, every walk of life, that there would be people out who are gay and trans and non-binary and everything because that's actually how the real world is that's actually how society is and so if in every job it looked like that that would just mean that jobs including football which is a job reflect the real world do I at the same time want anyone to feel like they have to be the pioneer no honestly like it's a pressure that no one should ever feel like they have to take on themselves I think that's a really good way to put it you know if it's if it's their pride wish, if, if it's a wish for themselves, then I think it can be our wish as well for, for them, because we know it will mean a lot for them. Uh, anybody else? Leanne, have you, or Matt, sorry, Matt, have you got a pride wish for five years' time, something that might have changed in football? Well, I, first thing I thought when you said it was that I thought back to a conversation I had with um, um, a, a gay colleague who said that going to a football, at a football game was the least likely place that he goes to in you know social life that he would hold the hands of his boyfriend and you know just to hear that and just you know i mean it was a sort of yeah well just you know in, inevitably made me stop and pause and think about what that means and what does that mean about the football stadium that he goes to and what does that mean for you know how many thousands upon thousands of others who are in the same position so yeah i guess so i'm left thinking well yeah i hope that's changed in in five years that you know he does feel like he can go to a football stadium and do what the hell he wants, basically, and, and not not feel that, whether it's intimidation or inhibition or, you know, um, uh, whatever f fear underlines it, that, that that we can deal with that and, and, and you know, eradicate it as fast as bloody possible, basically. Mm. The, the one that always stuck with me about being LGBT in the stadium is that end of season game where all the players walk around the pitch with their wives and, and children and the, and the crowd cheers. And I always wonder about that one player somewhere who 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 kind of wistfully thinks about maybe getting to join in with his boyfriend one day, and that might happen in the next five years. Who knows? Leanne, have you got a pride wish for five years time? Yeah, I think I think as well. Like I think a lot of emphasis is often on men because there's not been a male player, but I hope that there's more female players that feel like they can come out as well, and you know, feel like because I know a lot of players feel like they'll lose endorsements if they do, and that makes me sad. Um, because I'm the kind of person not everyone has to be that way but if a company doesn't want to endorse me because of my sexuality then they don't they don't deserve me so I think there's a lot of um, female players that I think could also do oh, a little bit more you know I think like I want there to be more voices not just myself I love I love my voice but at the same time I want there to be other you know I think it's great I get the amount of work that I do about this stuff but I want there 
to be more people like myself that are willing to speak up about it. And I think people are comfortable putting it on their Instagrams, you know, with their partners and stuff. But when it comes to actually, you know, talking about it like we are, I know players that have kind of turned opportunities down because they don't feel like they want to. And that's absolutely fine. But I just, you know, not just to always talk about the male players. I think there needs to be more increased visibility in the women's game as well. I really do. Hmm. And, and Adam, to come to you finally, I think you mentioned in one of your tweets before the event that, you know, hearing from different voices is something that's really, really important. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I don't really want to write four pieces a year for, you know, forever about this stuff. Um, so, I, you know, I would love that, you know, the, the work that yourself and the FWA are doing that I think, you know, if we can help to educate and empower other, you know, reporters across the board, obviously Matt's been fantastic um, to, to, to cover these issues in greater depth and, and also for, for football clubs to go beyond the corporate level um, at times as well, I think, um, how can I put this politely? I think there's a lot of people in corporate positions at football clubs who really want this to improve, who are really desperate for it to improve. Um, but I still think it's seen as it's nice to have it if we can have it, but it's not really a priority. Um, and it needs to be a priority because, um, you know, as Leanne says, we need greater visibility and representation in the women's game and in the and in the men's game sport as a whole really is is, is failing at the moment because uh gay athletes are not able to be visible in in men's football it, so it is failing the duty of care to its employers um on the most simple level so there has to be a real priority movement about it i want the head coaches giving i want you know um who are they Oli Gunasolski, pep guardiola thomas tuchel attending an inclusion seminar that would prepare them for the event that um, a, a gay player comes to them and needs their support. Um, if they're already doing that, I'll, I will I'll go on Twitter and, and apologise if that's pointed out to us. I'm pretty sure it's not. Um, and I want that action plan to be in place. And I think that's, if we're looking at control the controllables, that's something that football can definitely look to do within the next five years. I think that's a really great note on which to conclude and it's something I think we all collectively would hope for so um, we've gone deep into extra time so uh, I won't say too much more but thank you so much to everybody for your time this evening it's been a real pleasure Carrie thank you so much to the FWA it's been a, a, a real joy to, to partner up and we look forward to working more closely in the future and to anybody watching who's watching this on the repeat on the replay or watching live you know if you want to find out more about the FWA or about sports media LGBT or about football v homophobia then you can find details on each of our websites and of course if you want to track back look at the hashtag taking pride on social um, so we wish you all a very happy pride personally and professionally and uh, we welcome your feedback on the event too so uh, so let us know so it's been a real joy thank you so much for joining us tonight and we'll all say cheerio